There's no brewing in this episode of Big Monster Brewing. That's because I'm not brewing a beer today. I'm making a mead, a new addition to my Zymergy hobby that I picked up while this show has been on hiatus. And we're going to talk about that more in this episode. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and today I'm making a mead rather than brewing a beer. Like I said in the intro, it's something that I picked up since last doing this show, and while I do make a few of them each year, I don't quite make enough of these to have enough episodes to make a mead-only series. I'll most likely be doing it just enough between beer brews to help add shows to this series, at least for now, and probably for the most part, as you'll learn as we go through the process for the first time in this series. Along with that, the actual mead making process isn't as involved on the first day as the brewing process is. More work comes later, and the amount of that work is dependent on what you want that final product to be. Nearly as much work can be put into a mead after fermentation is completely done as it does before fermentation. And in many cases, maybe more. In fact, I would say that's probably more common than not. The biggest difference between brewing and making mead, for me at least, is that you really don't know what that end result is truly going to be until months down that line, rather than weeks with most beers. I got into making mead for two reasons. One, the homemade meads that I've had from judging local homebrew contests and from homebrewers in a both of my clubs, I really developed a taste for it. A really well-made, well-balanced, sometimes interesting flavored, I guess you'd say mead, can be a really nice drink to enjoy. The second reason is that we don't get a lot of mead entries in our local contest, so it's a chance to enter some less competitive categories and earn some more points for myself and the club each circuit season. And so far, every mead that I've entered has won a medal. In fact, the mead I'm making today also won a second place best in show for Mead Insiders in 2022. Now that said, I haven't entered all the meads that I've made, and most of that is for good reason. For example, and making a very long story short, I made a candy corn mead this Halloween that I think in the end was actually an invention of a new type of rocket fuel i mean the simple sugars in that candy corn just fermented completely out and it was incredibly boozy and hot and i still have it but i don't know how much more balancing and aging out can actually happen in this mead so that i don't have too high hopes on that sticking around too long but today i'm making a spice mead which is technically called a methaglin I'll start off by saying it's mostly the same recipe posted by City Studying Brews on YouTube. And if you're interested in making mead and have no idea how to start, it's just about the perfect channel to check out. And I learned a lot from watching, I think, nearly every video they posted and many of them several times. There are a couple of things that I changed in my recipe after making theirs for the first time. But if you like what you're hearing in this episode and you've never made me before, I highly recommend checking out their Spice Methaglin series. I think it's a series of four videos 
because you'll end up with a great me that you can start tweaking on your own as well as I have and get some hands-on experience and find out how how this this isn't as hard as it may sound in this in, in this episode I guess is what I'm trying to say lay lay out the entire process great it's been a fantastic learning source for me and a really strong jumping off point into my mead making I'm going to go through the recipe here quick, and then we'll revisit each one of these as we get into the mead making recordings. This is a one gallon batch, and I start off with three and a half pounds of star thistle honey. This is the first change from the city studding recipe. They use orange blossom honey in their recipe. I have used orange blossom honey and clover honey in this recipe, and they are both fantastic choices. Both made insanely good mead. The star thistle honey is the one that I find... When I back sweeten in particular, not so much once it's fermented out, but when I start back sweetening it is a very good complement to the spice blend that I use in this mead. So that's where that decision has come from for this for this recipe alteration. Now for the spices in this spice mead, or this methylene, I use one cinnamon stick, two cloves, and a short quarter teaspoon of crushed nutmeg. Now by short quarter teaspoon, I mean it's not quite full. It's not half but it's not full it's not a really scientific measurement that's just the best way i can think of describe it without giving a visual of it i should probably weigh out that amount for the future so i can replicate this properly but i still just get that short quarter teaspoon the difference from the original recipe by city studying is that they they use cinnamon stick the two cloves as well but then they also add some allspice berries i didn't write the number down but i know some allspice berries and nutmeg is my substitution but again, I've made that recipe and it's great. So if you want to, again, if you want to learn anything about making meat, I suggest looking at those videos and, and following along because you'll get that hands-on experience and get a great product when you're done. The nutmeg change came from two reasons for me. First, what is, I just wanted to try nutmeg and see what it brought to the mead. And also took out the allspice berries because I wasn't really getting anything from them. So I made that switch. When I decided to try nutmeg, I made the switch right then and there. And I loved what the nutmeg did. It seemed to smooth out the what could other be, what, or maybe, uh, what should I say, uh, be described as some sharp, strong spice character it had a little bit of earthiness to it to kind of round that out go along with the sweet with the honey kind of tone down the spices but still make them very prevalent now the thing here is i don't ever taste directly or nutmeg directly so i don't declare it when i enter this mead because that will give judges something to look for that they're not really going to find or necessarily recognize at least i don't think they will and that's worked out well so far, but I still add it to get that kind of initial balance that I wasn't expecting when I first tried it, but really enjoyed the result of, I guess you'd say. I do add four ounces of black tea, which is the same as the original recipe. And I also add a teaspoon of dried orange zest, which again comes from that original recipe. The original recipe adds 30 chopped raisins. I don't use raisins at all in any of my meads and i'm not even going to get into the discussion of whether or not they add nutrients they're certainly going to add some kind of flavor really that decision for this mead came from the fact that when i went to make it i didn't have any raisins so i made it without raisins and i could not tell any difference from the one with the raisins so i figured why add something that doesn't appear to be doing anything 
for really no reason. So I've admitted the raisins ever since that one day I didn't have any raisins. Going back to the original recipe, I do use Lalvin 71B yeast, the same as they do. For the yeast nutrients, they use rice, I believe, or not rice hulls, uh, yeast hulls in the video. I'm using for uh, go firm, two grams of go firm at pitch, and then I'm doing a staggered nutrient addition for four additions total, which we'll talk about that because I have those recordings. I believe it's, uh, oh, I didn't write this down. I believe it's one gram, 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, and then seven days. But I think I talk more about that in the recordings. In fact, I'm sure I do. So that's the recipe, but we still need to get this all together and do some more work as this mead develops, or I don't even know what you would say it is, is comes to fruition. That's a way to say it. So let's go to those recordings on this methaglin. It's mead day, and this is going to be an interesting recording. I've never recorded myself doing a mead before, so I'm going to capture each step as we go and see how it comes out in the edit. So first, I'm going to get, I'm getting four ounces of water from my refrigerator. Yeah, it's a little short, because that is, even though that's city water, it is uh, charcoal filtered, so it'll take out at least the, uh, uh, what's it, chlor chloramine? I think it's not quite fluoride or fluoramine or chloride chloramine and anyway it's for this is for the tea i should mention that i gathered the water for the tea four ounces gonna put it in for about 75 seconds in the microwave get that started and then i'm headed over here to the sink and you know let my hot water run for about uh, however long it takes to get to the hottest it can get and then i got a it's about a i think it's a one and a half gallon little pot that i'm going to put the um, in fact here it is I'm gonna put in there start collecting water I'm gonna put in the let me slow that down I'm gonna put in the uh, honey jars fill it to the top and let that hot water kind of loosen that honey up makes it easier to pour it makes it easier to get all the honey out of there best I can especially when you put just a little bit of water in there and shake it up real good that gets it out and uh, once it's warmed up like this so um, just going to wait for all these to heat up and move on to the next step. And you probably heard that. It means the water's done. Oh, and it's just finished boiling or bubbling. Just going to set it down here. I put the tea bag in. Let me poke that in there a little bit. And by the time I'm ready for it, that'll be completely steeped in just about where I want it. It should be fully done uh, I don't know what you would call that angus that extracts the uh, uh, whatever the flavor out of the leaves so it'll my point is by the time I get to it maybe a little longer with this talking while recording but by the time I need it that tea will be done and not everything the whole liquid's going in the bag is not going in but the liquid is I set that aside and move on to the next step honey's pretty well warmed up at this point so I'm going to start getting all of this together and the first thing i want to mention is that everything that i'm going to talk about now every utensil vessel anything that's going to be in contact with the honey and the water and everything has been sanitized this is a little different than brewing where you can kind of you, well you don't worry about sanitization until the boil is done because you have boiled your wort and killed everything there's no 
boiling here. Even the warm water I used to heat up the honey didn't is nowhere near a boil. The only real boiling that there ever was was a, for just a few seconds to get the water heated up for the tea. And even that uh, little, it's a one cup measuring cup that I measure four ounces in. Even that I sprayed with sanitizer. Now that might be a little redundant because the steam as the tea was steeping might have killed everything on the inside of that glass, but I'd rather be redundant than miss the step and have a problem. But everything else here, the fermenter, the lid, the airlock, the spoon, um, I guess that's about it. If I pick something up before I put it in the sanitizer, into the uh, mead or the must at this point until I pitch the yeast, I'm going to put that in a, I have a bowl of sanitizer here ready to sanitize whatever, but everything now from now in on out that's going into this mead is going to be sanitized. So let's start with the honey and I'm a scale. I need three and a half pounds. I'm actually going to measure that a little short. I'm probably going to do three pounds and seven ounces because I need to get the remnants of the honey off this two, uh, this one <laughs> uh, first jar, which I'll talk about that in a bit. So that'll kind of make up so once this is as empty as I can get it, I'm going to get the other jar and put and keep pouring until I get to about uh, three, I think I said two, but 3.7 or three pounds, seven ounces, and then get that last bit of honey out of the jar. So uh, yeah, this is kind of almost, it's now down to where it's that stream. So this is where it takes a while. So I will come back with the kind of uh, final bit of the honey addition here. Okay, I got three pounds, seven ounces of honey, and I just put in some spring water, some bottled spring water directly from the bottle so that it's it's food safe, sanitary, I guess you'd say, or whatnot. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. I didn't have to boil or anything because it's fresh out of the bottle. There should be no contaminants to it. I put in, gee, I don't know. I filled this honey jar about a eh, quarter of the way. And now I need to get the last of that honey out that's stuck on the bottom and the walls of it. And that's just a matter of doing this. But I'll be doing that a lot. That was me shaking the heck out of it, if you didn't realize what that sound was. So I'll just keep shaking this until I can see straight through. It's a glass jar until I can see straight through it. Then I'll dump all that in. And that weight's gonna be a little higher than three and a half pounds because of the extra, I'm gonna stop shaking sometimes recording because of the extra water in there. But that's okay because ultimately, and we'll get to this in this process, I'm actually gonna be adding even probably a little more honey because I'm measuring by gravity points, not by necessarily weight. The weight is going to get me 95% of the way there, maybe a little more, but I do, I am looking for a specific gravity and I always, even with the, the matter, with the best of planning and the uh, repeating of the process, I always have to add a little more honey. I guess that's actually part of the process. Now, how much? That all depends on what I'm making and how concentrated the honey that I put in this time. Because even though honey can kind of be the same and from the same company, there's probably all kinds of variants that I don't even know that happens in honey. So I wait till the closer to the end to finalize my honey. But three and a half gallons or pounds, <laughs> three and a half gallons would be a lot for a one gallon batch. Three and a half pounds of honey is a good start. So I'm going to keep shaking this up. It's getting close, but it's not quite there. I'm going to shake, shake it up, pour that in, and then come back with what's next. 
honey is in and I've taken the fermenter off the scale and I should mention it's a one gallon fermenter for one gallon batch. It's a glass big mouth, but I think it's called a little big mouth bubbler. Again, I, I believe, ooh, I could be wrong. I saw it in City Setting Brews. I believe they use this fermenter in their, the, the episodes I linked to, if you're wanting to get an individual of what's happening here, but if not that one, definitely their newest Vikings blood and anything with fruit in the past couple of years. But anyway, um, where was, I? oh, so now I'm gonna add the water and stir this up. So what I do, there's a kind of like a, it's not a halfway marker, there's a pattern almost, barrel-like pattern on the glass of this and there's a seam that goes through the middle if this were or would be i guess a band if this were a barrel that's where i fill the water to filling it no just for the initial stirring and now it's off the scale Uh, weights i don't care anything about weights i'm not from this point out but for a while until i get to the end when i start re-adding honey so no reason to put the stress on the scale of the motion of the stirring and the weight I'll be possibly pressing down on it. I just took it off the scale. It would have been a quicker way to say that. So now I stir and I have a plastic spoon I have specifically for this because I tried the metal spoon I have for all brewing kind of as tradition and good luck. And when that kind of clanked against the sides, it sounded like it might crack the fermenter. So now I use a plastic spoon and this is just, there's no way around this than to just keep doing it. It starts off really thick. You'll feel it loosen up. In fact, if you take a look at it, you'll kind of see the, first you'll see the honey swirl all together and there'll be a separation of of honey and water. Then you'll kind of see the honey break up in the blobs and you'll have kind of like a, like a really, um, uh, a a lava lamp to to the extreme effect, but going sideways instead of up and down. Then it'll eventually appear to homogenize, which it generally is. At that point, when it looks like it's all together and it's relatively uh, smooth at stirring, there's no resistance, I'll just keep stirring for about another two minutes. I don't really time it. I kind of just guess whatever it feels like two minutes. Sometimes I'll count it out in my head, but I don't get set a timer for it. And just to give you an idea, I don't know, it probably takes about, probably takes about two minutes to get to that point, minute to two minutes, and then two more minutes after that. And... Um, yeah, that's it. There's, like I said, there's no way around it except to just keep doing it. I, I wouldn't take my initial times of how long it takes to get to the homogenized thing. I, I play that by eye. I look at it. If it looks like, if you don't see any globs of honey, it looks like one cohesive liquid of honey and water, then do it for another two minutes or so. And the actually, the uh, you don't have to worry about being careful or sloppy. In fact, sloppy is probably better because you want to get oxygen oxygen in here for fermentation. So just keep stirring aggressively, get that mixed together, and feels roughly like I'm at that homogenized point. So I'll take a look and then go for another two minutes and then be back. So I would say that's pretty well stirred up. And now is the time that I put in the tea. I'm gonna take the bag out. And set it on where to set it. So I'm going to set it here in the sink. And everything, the, well, it's a little less than four ounces now because of the absorption. But I just poured that right in. And I'm going to add more water here. I'm not going to fill this completely, but really close because I am going to be adding 
more honey. I think that's that's about where I want it. And I don't even know what you would call that. Let's see. I would say that's I don't even know. I don't even know how to call that full. Almost it's almost full. Think um let's put it this way. If you're following along and you have a different fermenter, find your fill point and leave yourself enough room for up to four ounces of honey. I don't think it'll take that much, but about that. So that's where it's at. I don't know what measurement to call that. So um, what I need to do now, though, I need to, now that I have more water, I'm going to give this a really good stir again, probably like another two minutes for two reasons. One, one to really get everything, again, homogenized and put some more air in it. And then at this point, once that's done, I'm going to take a measurement. And before I add anything else, I'm going to see how close I am to my starting gravity target. So I will be back to do that now. I just took a gravity reading to see where I'm at on this and to kind of set the stage. My goal is 1.100 or somewhere around there. I, I'm not going to be that much of a stickler and keep adding little bits of honey and a little bit of water to get exactly there. But I am at 1.095, so I would like it, if it's going to be off, I'd like it higher than lower. So I have the fermenter back on the scale, and I'm going to add just a little, like two ounces and a pinch more. I'm not going to actually touch it and pinch it. That seems impossible with honey, but two ounces... A little bit more than that, not quite three, because honey, roughly, and this is very, very rough number, each ounce of honey is roughly 2.2 gravity points. And again, this varies not only with honey varietals, but within the season itself. But right now with the honey I'm using, I'm getting about 2.2 gravity points per ounce. So I'm going to put in two, not quite two and a half. So let's... Pour that in, and, and, okay, all right, well, <laughs> it's two, there we go, two, it is, it is two and a half ounces, because it kind of, I for, didn't compensate for the amount of that string of honey that I didn't want to drag across the counter, all right, so two and a half, and now this definitely needs to be stirred up, because that is in one spot and I really want to get that evenly distributed to see what the exact gravity is. So I'm going to stir this for a good amount of time and be back and measure again. I just took a measurement with that addition and I'm at 1.103. So I am a little over and that is just fine. I'd, like I said, rather be over than under. So no more honey, no more water, but we certainly have to add the spices, which I'm going to do now. I have them sitting here in a very shallow bowl, a little bit of sanitizer, everything except the nutmeg. The, the, the spoon, the um, measuring spoon they're on is been sanitized. So again, probably not entirely <laughs> necessary, but just in case. So I'm going to put in one clove, two clove, and then a cinnamon stick. And right now they all float and that's, I think that's going to be the way it is. So when I go in to do the um, nutrient additions, I'll make sure that they, I kind of punch them down and keep them moist, especially the cinnamon stick. And then last but not least, got the not quite 
quarter teaspoon of nutmeg, and it's crushed nutmeg. I found once online for a beer I did years ago. It's not ground to a powder. It's like it's chunky. It's nice. It's it's it stays out of the siphon filter. And same with um, the brew kettle. I've never seen it again. So when this is gone or when it loses its potency, it's going to be a sad day. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I can't recommend where to get crushed nutmeg because I haven't found it again. Other than maybe do it yourself. Might, might be what I had to do. So don't really need to stir this up because they're just going to sit there and steep and do their thing. And there's going to be lots of stirring yet today anyway. Uh, what I need to do is get the gopherm together. That's the initial yeast nutrients that's going to go in with the yeast. It's going to go in before. So I need to do that now. And uh, get a couple ounces of water together in a small cup. Heat that up to no more than 100 degrees. I try to get it over 90 because it melts the gopherm pretty well. Or separates it, dissolves it. That's the word I'm looking for. But you don't want it over 100 because that apparently chemically damages it. So I'm going to meticulously warm that up in the microwave. Put in two and a half grams of gopherm in that little cup. Stir it up with a sanitized stir, which is basically a metal chopstick that we lost the second chopstick to. So it's now my stir. And then pour that in. So I do need two hands for that. I'm holding a recorder in one. So I'll be back when I add the gopherm. I got my gopherm all dissolved in water. It's all mixed up. It's ready to go in. It stinks. I think gopherm stinks. It might just be me. Uh, it's it's definitely not this pack of gopherm because I've used uh, several little, what did I get? Like, I think they sell them in either like five grams or 150 grams. And I used, I got a couple of small ones where I finally bit the bullet and got the big one. And they've all stink to me. Maybe someone likes the smell. It's an acquired aroma. But anyway, this needs to go into the mead or the must. It's must. It's still not mead yet. And I'm going to stir whoops, stir that in a little bit. Kind of get a little bit of a vortex going. And then that's me taking the spoon out. I'm going to slip it in the sanitizer here. And then what I got, let's see. You hear me shaking it? That is, the, that is a pack of Lalvin 71B yeast. That's the yeast I use for this meat and mainly every meat. I just love the way it, how, how quick it works, how aggressively it works and how well it makes the meat. I'm shaking it to get everything down below where I'm going to tear and sprinkle it in. Okay, I'm going to have to stir this again. I kind of get that little vortex going because when I sprinkle it in, I just sprinkle it in one spot and then the moving must kind of helps spread it out and submerge it. So I'm going to, again, another... Uh, two-hand process well to tear this open it is so gonna stir up the mead one more time really good pitch the yeast i use about a half pack roughly i don't measure it out i do it by feel it's pretty obvious when half of it's gone it's a it's a small it's it's a small but it's tightly packed so you can see how much is there and how much is gone as you sprinkle it in so i'm going to go ahead and do that now and then be back with sealing this up The yeast is pitched, the lid is on the fermenter, and the airlock is in. And if this were beer, we'd be at the point where there's nothing left to do but wait. This is not beer. Mead's a different beast. With all that sugar in that honey and the yeast and everything concentrated in, in most meads, at least the ones I make or have recipes for, are very high starting gravities, the yeast has a lot of work to do. And you want to keep them happy 
as opposed from just feeding them sugar, you need to give them some more uh, nitrogens, something that comes to mind. I believe there's some zinc in the, the yeast nutrients blend I use. My point is, we're still going to baby this for the next three days and then a few more days after that. What we're going to do is we're doing a staggered nutrient addition. And tomorrow, roughly this time tomorrow, I'm going to add some yeast nutrients. And then again, the second day after and the third day after. And then a week after that. Then there's nothing left to do but wait. But with mead, there's still more to talk about at this point. Usually at pitching yeast, we're waiting until we keg and carbonate and taste but we got more work to do here so i'll be back with that as the days go we're not quite at that first day yet we're a few hours after i put everything together and the airlock is going crazy i don't know if i can pick up the sound of it i'm going to try here not sure if that came out i'll find out in the edit but uh it's been about two hours and that's one of the things i like about this yeast it starts fast and i'm also fermenting at room temperature which for us is almost always 75 degrees it's actually about 71 now because we have a bit of a cold snap but it's in the 70s never had a problem uh mead again different than beer if i did this with beer depending on the yeast strain i use that might be a bad thing or i might get some flavors i'm not expecting i don't think it'd be too hot for it but that's this isn't beer. This is mead. So that's all for today. I'll be back in roughly 20-ish hours to put in that first staggered nutrient addition. It is the next day, and I am about to add the first staggered nutrients. Now, I mentioned the nutrients the day I put this together. is called GoFirm. Now we're switching over to Fermato, and that's what we're going to use in the next four editions here. So I have one gram, it's gonna be one gram all four days. So I'm sprinkling that in. Actually, I should mention, I have a just a soup spoon or a tablespoon uh, from my silverware drawer that I sanitize and I kind of broke up the Krausen to make a little patch so I could put this fermato in. So I'm gonna sprinkle that on there. And then with that same sanitized spoon, I'm stirring it up, still breaking up the Krausen, get that uh, make sure the tomato doesn't stick to that foam. Get that in there. Make the yeast happy. And that looks like looks like that'll do it. All right, I'm gonna seal this back up and be back tomorrow. Do this again. I'm following up on that first nutrient addition I just did. It's about. I don't know, half hour later? Didn't time when I did it. Feels like about a half hour. And I'm mentioning this because there was some airlock activity before I started this. Now that airlock activity is about four times more than before I had the nutrients. So the yeast are kicking up again. I think probably stirring had a little bit to do with that as well. But it's very happy that it got some additional nutrients. They're ready to go at the sugars again. And that's it. So just kind of pointing out why a staggered nutrients can help and how it can visibly <laughs> see the difference that it makes. So, okay, I think that's it for now. I'll be back with the next uh, edition. We're at the second day after making this mead and I'm going to add the yeast nutrients again. So I got the cap off and this time I'm gonna, I forgot to mention this, did it last time. I'm gonna give the cinnamon stick a little bit of a poke to get the 
top of it wet. Oh, actually it flipped. That's good. I was going to say get the top of it wet again. I don't want the cinnamon stick to dry out during this process because it could start forming some mold. So um, it's actually a technique coming from a term called punch the fruit cap when you're using fruit. But since I don't have fruit, I'm stabbing the stick, I guess. I don't know what you would call it. Anyway, um going to add the nutrients again. And the krausen is pretty much fallen, so I didn't really need to make a... But a, a, a spot for it, so I'm sprinkling that in, and giving it sturgeon and oh, okay. <laughs> so um, starting to get a little foam up there. So fermentation is definitely underway because I just stirred a bunch of CO2. Okay, it didn't get out of control. It wasn't like a soda, but a bit of a surprise. So let me stir that some more, but a little slower. There we go. Still foaming up. So I'm technically degassing some at this point. I don't need to bother doing a full degassing. That's when you try to extract the CO2 that's in suspension before you do package the mead, and you may be at it if you're carbonating. But my point is, uh, there's no sense in totally degassing it now because we got another week of fermentation. So, all right, things look good. I'm going to seal this up and put it back for another 24 hours. I've added the third day of yeast nutrients. Didn't bother recording the process because I just, that's what the last two recordings were. But the lid's back on. I cleaned everything up, put everything away. And the airlock's bubbling crazy again, like it's the first day of fermentation. I'm doing this recording more because I want to talk about uh, the next yeast nutrients edition. It's going to be a few days from now. And going by the, I use the, basically... <laughs> the, the the Tosna method, I think it's 3.0 now is the version. And I say basically because towards the last step of the process is where I kind of go off script, I guess you'd say, or off instructions. The calculator, when you use one of the calculators online, or if you calculate it yourself, the idea is to put that last nutrient in at, I think it's one-third sugar break or seven days, whichever comes first. That's where I kind of deviate. I think it's because of these one-gallon batches, they don't quite get to seven days all the time and i also don't measure every day to see what one third sugar break so what i kind of do is i play it by as i say ear but more by eye i look at my airlock and when it stops bubbling like crazy like it is now and kind of slows down but not at a standstill especially not not at all when it's at um what do you got neutral uh uh levels i use a s airlock for this early fermentation to tell when it levels out but when it kind of just bubbles i don't know once uh somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute as i know it's a pretty big range but when it slows down that slow that's when i add it because i know there's still enough pressure coming out of it co2 coming out of it that is a healthy fermentation but it's certainly slowed down and i don't want it to be able to stop and just add these nutrients to what is possibly a completely finished dead pile of yeast. There's probably some still living there, but I didn't want to add a flavor in there that may not be observed by the yeast that are left. So that is not at all scientific, and it's probably not even close to correct what the numbers should be or compared to like the one-third sugar break, but it's worked for me so far, and I'll continue to do that until I find something that works better or this doesn't work. So always learning. It, this is... I've been brewing for seven years now, but I've only been making mead for a few months. Well, uh, is that right? We'll say uh, it's more than a few, but it's not a year. 
six or seven months. So seven years of brewing compared to seven years of mead making, I, I, I can, I, I just thinking about how much I've learned in seven years and continue to learn in brewing, what's that going to mean for mead? So that is that story. And then I'll come back and talk about what things look at, at that use nutrient addition in a few days. Update on the mead. I did put that last bit of yeast nutrients in four days ago, which was seven days after making the mead. So one week later. And the recap, it was the schedule was the first day after, then second, then third, then seventh day, or first, third sugar break, whichever came first. I don't usually measure my half or my one gallon batches. I just kind of wing it. And this was definitely seven days came first because that airlock was bubbling really crazy. Four days later, the air airlock is still bubbling fairly crazy. I This has been, let's see, that's a week plus four. It's 11 days coming up on the 12th day. It's still the, it's still an aggressive fermentation. I don't know where it's getting all the sugar from, or I don't know how slow the yeast are eating, or I don't actually, they wouldn't be that slow because this airlock wouldn't be going that quick. It's going to be... Uh, fun to watch when this finally ends, and I expect it to be like dry. It could be below 1.000 with alcohol being lighter than water. The hydrometer reading could be 0.9 something, not very low, like 998, I think is the lowest I've ever seen it. But this might be the most attenuated any fermentation I've ever done. So now I really just need to wait, but. You won't have to because you're going to find out probably in the next recording where we're at in terms of the fermentation finishing. It is 22 days since I've made the spice mead. And so that's uh, three weeks in a day. I almost said a week and three days. Three weeks in a day. And I decided to rack it for a couple reasons. One, there was neutral pressure in the airlock. That doesn't mean it's done. In fact, I don't think it is done because of the pressure I see in the airlock now. I think I stirred up the yeast and they're going again. Although I did take a gravity reading. It is at 1.000. And on the surface, that sounds like it's done. But with, I believe, alcohol being lighter than water is what the effect is on a hydrometer. It can actually go past one to like 0.998 all the way to 996 I've seen. So now that I've stirred up the yeast, I expect it to very possibly drop just a couple more points. The other reason I took it off, the or racked it, I should say, was to take it off the spices because the cinnamon stick was constantly floating. And I was kind of taking out the airlock and, and pushing in with a sanitized stainless steel straw I have, but that was starting to kind of lax on that. And the, the danger of that is that if I let it sit far too long and the top of that cinnamon stick dries out and starts to get moldy, that's going to ruin the meat. I mean, there's no coming back from moldy meat I mean, that's that, or even infected. But uh, with the high alcohol content of mead, infection is less likely, but mold, there's, if that happens, you're, you're done. So I kind of wanted to get the spices out of there, get it to, in its own vessel. I did taste it. It doesn't taste as strong of a spice spice initially but i kind of had a deja vu that this seems to happen at first racking where it's not super strong in the spice department and once i back sweeten it and let it sit in condition that spices kind of come out more so i'm not real worried about that yet 
I wouldn't even say I'm going to get worried about that. If it doesn't express the spices I want, I can just put more spices in and let it sit in the future. It is dry. <laughs> it's so dry. Um, well, it's, it's 1.000, so it's almost got no sugars in it. So it is super dry. So it's definitely going to need back sweetening. But I'm going to let it sit for a, quite a few weeks. One, because I don't think it's done fermenting and it could use some aging. And two, it's really, really cloudy. Uh, my spice meads, every time I make this, it always comes out super cloudy. And I've tried letting time set it down, let, let time settle everything out. I've tried cold crashing. I finally had to go to adding findings to it. And even at that, they don't work as fast as they do on normal meads. I don't know what's in these spices or in this star thistle honey that makes this so cloudy and so difficult to clear. But I know that's going to be some work coming up here shortly. So that's where it's at. In a few weeks, I will check it out. Maybe like two weeks. I say a few, but probably like two weeks. I'll check it out again. See where everything's at and come back with some more recordings. So I'm picking up from the last recording to kind of clarify some things I talked about. I think I used some terms, or a term in particular, that I don't really do in beer, so probably haven't explained. I sh if I was talking about this properly, I should have at one point said I racked the mead. And what that means is I transferred it from one vessel to another. In this case, I went from the original fermenter, which is a 1.2 gallon big mouth, little big mouth bubbler, I think is its name, into a one gallon jug, just a glass clear glass jug and i did that by means of a siphon and i probably said yeah i thought to listen to all the old episodes like real old episodes how much i hate siphons not much has changed but this is a mini siphon it's a little easier to clean but they are just labor intensive for cleaning i i not a fan but when i'm only transferring one gallon of liquids that's different if i were to end up doing a five gallon batch of mead sometime. I'm not sure what I would do. I'd probably start with a siphon because I know how that works and how to do it. Long term, I don't know what. So back, siphon is back in my life. I'm not sure if I need to describe siphon. Um, I think everyone knows what that is, but it's, it's, uh, this is, it's called an auto siphon, but it's not really. It's just a siphon inside a larger tube that creates a little bit of a vacuum instead of you having to put something on the end of the siphon as you normally would to start the suction. Like, uh, <laughs> the example that jumped into my head was auto siphoning gas in The Simpsons, where he put one tube into the gas tank and sucked it out, sucked the gas out, and let it drain from the other end. That was the siphon. That's the best I can come up with. Shows you my education level and pop, where, where I should say, shows you where my education is completely outweighed by my knowledge of pop culture on that on that statement right there today i'm going to take a gravity reading and an attempted taste and i say an attempted taste because you might hear in my voice i have got a head cold like a crazy stuffed up ruddy nose like to the point i don't even want to describe how gross it is it just will not stop so i don't know how i'm going to do at the tasting part but it's been over oh i was gonna say a month that's not right let's see oh it's been two weeks it's been a little more than two weeks since i wrecked and i was at 1.000 gravity and i felt there was a little more to go judging by the way the airlock reacted from the transfer so i was gonna do a reading and see where it's at now and if it's around there 
or even dropped, I was going to go ahead and stabilize because this is, I think, is fermented about as it's going to get. And I'm going to have to start considering back sweetening and, and clearing this up. So I went ahead and took a sample and took a bricks reading. And I am plugging that number in. I'm at 9.8 bricks. And my original gravity, let me double check the label, 1.105. That's what I have in. So this says it's at... The corrected gravity is 0.998, which is about as dry as I've gotten out of this yeast. So I'd say this is done fermenting, fermenting the sugars that's in there, I should say. And that gets us to 14.4%, which it sounds about what I would expect, I think, from this mead. Now, since that's, like I said, about as, as fermented as this honey's going to get, there's a possibility of adding sugar when I back sweeten because without even tasting this, I know I'm going to have to back sweeten because that is a dry number. I like my meads to weigh out at about 1.020, maybe a little more. So we're not even at 1.000 anymore. So this is definitely going to be dry whether I can taste it or not right now. But I have the danger of um, adding sugar and any yeasts that are still dormant, alive and dormant, might wake up and re-ferment that. That's not what I want. I want to add honey and a little bit to um, back sweeten it. So I'm going to get ready to stabilize here. I'm going to come back for another recording because I'm going to need two hands to get that ready. But let's see if I can taste anything. I can barely smell anything. I can't. I, I really can't smell anything. I can smell that there's something in there. But I can't tell. Oh, hey, I got a little bit of the clove i think on the last try but my nose is is a little screwed up but i'll try to taste this little sample and see if i get anything i get more taste a lot more taste than i do aroma and i get the uh i get this clove first a little bit of cinnamon and maybe that last bit is nutmeg but it is dry <laughs> it's so dry and so hot because of the well it's 14 percent and there's no sweetness so even with a head cold from hell I know this needs back sweetening, so I'm going to stabilize this first before we even get into that. I've got my stabilizers just about ready, and this is definitely something not in the uh, city setting one. I don't believe they uh, ever use these kind of stabilizers. These are sulfates I'm using. I use 0.5 grams of um, potassium metabisulfate and then 0.8 grams excuse me, of potassium sorbate. And I heat up just a little bit of water, like very little. I don't even think this is an ounce. If it's an ounce, that's, that's the max it is. Dump them in, swirl it around, and now I'm going to open up the uh, one-gallon jug that this meat is sitting in, pour it in there, seal it up, swirl it, and let it sit and not really do anything with it for at least two or three days. 24 hours is what you're supposed to wait, but I, I like to make sure all of those yeast are... Uh, blocked from reproducing after putting this in. So I usually wait a few days. So I need two hands again. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. I'm up to the point of back sweetening the spice mead now. It's definitely ready for that, I think. it's. I put in the stabilizers, let's see, eight days ago. 24, it's supposed to work within 24 hours. I like to wait at least a couple of days to be sure eight days is definitely enough so what i'm doing now i have a siphon a small mini i guess it's called a mini auto siphon firm or not fermenting sanitizing inside a one gallon pitcher that i use 
Uh, what else do I have? I have a empty one-gallon jug ready. I'm going to actually siphon the sanitizer out of the pitcher into the, to the jug to sanitize that. I have uh, the couple odds and ends for the siphon and some pipettes in a bowl of sanitizer. And I'm going to siphon into the... I also have a spoon, mixing spoon. I don't want to forget that inside that one-gallon pitcher. I'm going to siphon from the gallon jug that it's in now into the pitcher and start adding honey. I'm not really going to weigh... Well, hmm. I'm thinking about this. Maybe I will weigh it for a future recipe, even though I'm going to do this to taste. And... To a degree by some numbers, too. I'm going to add, it's at point, let's see, 1998 now. I want to start tasting it at about 1.010. So I'm going to add honey, stir it, measure. When I'm somewhere around there, I'm going to taste and see if I want to add more or not. I'm, I'm debating whether I get the scale or not. I think I'll get the scale, but I think since it's going to be such a slow, methodical process that the scale is probably going to time out and I won't actually get a, a number. You know what? I'm not going to do the scale this time. I'm going to skip the scale. I'm going to do it by taste because I definitely want this sweeter than it is now. I Last I tasted it, it's super dry. I mean, it's it's got the spices. It's got a little bit of honey character, but it's way too dry for how I want to present this meat and how I want to drink this meat. So doing this mostly by taste, but being guided by numbers. So I think it's been long enough for all these items to be uh, sitting stationary in sanitizer. So I'm going to go ahead and start transferring the sanitizer out of the uh, pitcher into the jug and get everything set up to transfer the mead into the pitcher. That's probably the point I'll come back when I start adding the honey and I'll talk about what the numbers look like and what it tastes like. I've started the back sweetening process and what I'm using for this is star thistle honey. Same honey I used to make the mead. Going to keep it all the same varietal in this. You can use a, a whole bevy of anything, really any, almost any kind of sweetener it seems like, uh, or fermentable and non, but you can use, you can use straight up sugar, you can use erythritol, uh, which is a non-fermentable sugar, plant-based I do believe, honey. Like I'm using any type of honey, no matter, regardless of what you made your meat out of. Um, suppose you could use sweet fruit juice. Never tried that, but the point is, I'm trying for this. It's a traditional mead with spices, so I'm trying to keep the honey character one note, as weird as that sounds. And I'm going to let the other uh, characters be the multi notes of this. So I put in. I had about a quarter of a jar of a two-gallon gallon two pound jar so was that a about a half pound i put in half of that so about a quarter pound again i'm not using my uh scale for this and i'm stirring very very slowly i'm trying to make sure the top of the pitcher the surface tension of the meat in the pitcher does not break because that's where you start splashing in the oxygen and that's where you start getting a little bit of uh you can develop some sherry flavors if you have too much of it in there so i'm stirring ever so slowly and meticulously and it starts off like any other mix with the honey it's very uh resistant at first and then you can feel it loosening up in fact i'm at the point of feeling it loosen up so i'm going to do it for like another 30 seconds and take a measurement and see where the number is and see if i'm ready to taste it I just put in the numbers for the measurement with this honey edition, and it's up to 1.013. So I did taste it, and I think it's actually where I want it. So I, it's hard to, this is where it gets hard to tell for me because it's it's still very young. There's still a lot of heat to it, 
but I don't really want to mess with it too much more. Actually, hmm, kind of like now that it, the taste is lingering on my palate, maybe is a little, still a little too dry, a little too booze forward. So I'm going to put in just a little more. I do not want this to get past 1.20, I don't think. So I'm going to put in maybe a third of what I have left and see what we got. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, now that I'm, I'm exhaling from what I, what I tasted, it's still a little, little dry, little sharp, little sweetness would round this out. I'm going to put in just a little bit more and I think we're there. That little bit pumped it up to 1.016 and the taste is minimally different if at all. So I'm going to go ahead and put the rest of the star thistle honey in and hopefully that doesn't push it too far past sweet. But I think it just needs a little bit more to round it out because everything else is doing okay. It's just a little bit, still a little too dry. So I'm going to put the rest of that in, stir it up, measure it, taste it, and then see what we got. All right, that last addition bumped it up to 1.023, and I did want to try to keep it below or at 1.20, but I'm tasting it now, and that's that. this is exactly that balance that was missing. It's, it's still got the little bit of dry, a little bit of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It definitely has the alcohol presence. The spices in there are playing very well at the sweetness of the honey. There's a recognizable honey taste without it being completely distinct it, this is the exact balance i was missing and i can't uh really can't wait to see how this ages out because right now it's very young so everything's very sharp there's a young tasteness to it very um not sour sharp's the only thing i think of everything's very like every characteristic is very like in your palate like bam 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 um, eventually this will all level out homogenize i believe is a word it's going to smooth out it's going to be very good and that sweetness that i'm glad i over accidentally overdid the sweetness because i think that's the exact thing that was missing i'm gonna taste it one more time make sure i'm still happy with it which i uh, yeah that is i think that's it um i think the only thing that might be a little lacking is the spice might not be as strong but i think that's going to come out a little more as this ages but it's definitely there it's definitely present so i'm gonna go ahead and re-rack this into a fermenting jug. And then I'll, I got some more steps coming. I'm gonna talk about that. Let me get that done and I'll talk about what's happening next. Okay, I have the mead transferred into a one gallon jug fermenter, again, with an airlock on it. And it's, as far as the flavor of this, aroma and all that, it's done. But this mead is far from done because just like every other spice meat I've ever done with the same recipe or even an alteration of the recipe, it is so cloudy and it always is. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to let this sit for about two days, maybe three days. Let any big particles of protein fall to the bottom. And then I'm going to dose it with some super clear KC, which is a miracle <laughs> compound. It's, it's a combination of two things, I believe. I believe it's somewhere in the family of Isinglass where he uses a part of a, like a fish bladder or shellfish or something. Oh, actually, it'd be a little different. I think he uses actually shellfish, like shell, some compound from a shellfish to help drop out the proteins. It's, it's a two-part process. One pulls out the positive particles. One pulls out the positively charged particles. One, the other one pulls out the negatively charged particles. 
and it works like a miracle cure for cloudy beers. Now, a lot of people don't like using it for various different reasons. One of those being that it's not 100% vegan. When I say shellfish, though, it's not like a shellfish allergy. It doesn't have the, the meat and the proteins and whatnot that people are allergic to. So there's no real danger of that. But some people like a all-natural product. Well, I say vegan. It's honey. You're not going to have a vegan product. But they don't like putting additional animal products into it. They also don't like using finding agents. They like to let time settle it. And I let it settle and clear. And I agree with that, except for the fact that I have let this stuff sit for longer than I can remember, and it never clears. The only thing I found to help it is some kind of assisted clearing. And I've tried Sparkaloid on this to a varying uh, success, a little bit success, still a little cloudy, but Super Clear KC, which also is being sold as Dulfine. I think it's the same exact product, just different labeling. One's, I think, marketed distillers, the other to winemakers. I, I could be or backwards or could even be wrong on that. My point is Super Clear gets this mead looking like I want it to. So I'm going to do it because I'm the one I'm making this for. It may go to competition and other people might enjoy it, but in the short term, I'm being very selfish and I would like this to be clear. So in about three days, I'll try that and I'll talk about it and you'll probably actually hear that next. One thing I want to talk about that I forgot and I just remember, remembered as I'm cleaning up as you can hear the probably the water rushing into everything I'm cleaning is the ABV on this. So it was 14.4 at final measurement before it stabilized. And now we added honey and it raised up the finishing gravity to a different number. That does not change the ABV. It's still 14% alcohol in there, 14.4. Now, if you really want to get like uh, technical, I guess, or, or really split hairs, we did change the volume of the entire batch of mead by putting more honey into it. So now the volume's different. So that did technically reduce the ABV somewhat, but not enough that it's, uh, maybe it took shave that 0.4 off the 14, probably not even that much, but it's still a 14% mead, even though it's drinking sweeter than it did when it was measured at 14. And if you were to run these numbers through an ABV calculator, you probably get somewhere around 10 or 11 ABV with that final, uh, gravity of being 10, what do we get? 1023? 10, yeah, 1023. But that 1023 is a post-fermentation number with the back sweetening. So the ABV stayed the same, essentially. The volume changed ever so slightly, but the taste is what we changed. We didn't mess with the ABV. We didn't mess with, we didn't make, we didn't double the size of this mead. We've only really changed the taste in this. And I meant to say that at one point in one of those recordings, but I was more focused on what I was tasting. But now that that's done, I remember to bring it up and there you have it. I'm about to clear the mead with Superfine, at least the first phase of it. And I could go into some more detail on this, but I think we're gonna save it because spoiler alert, this is not the last mead that's gonna be on this show. In fact, it's not the last mead that has recordings done for it. And I kind of went, a little bit, I think, maybe over-recorded on the back sweetening. So I'm just going to lay out the step here. I'm going to add the first part of the Super Clear. And it says to let it sit for an hour to 24 hours. I usually go about two, three hours, then I put it in a second. And steps are pretty much the same. You pour one in, and you wait and pour the other in. The thing I could go on about is how they come, the, uh, what would you call it, the solutions come pre-packaged for five gallons, and they only have one gallon. 
and I, I save as much as, as I can, and I'll think I'll save that for later. So suffice it to say, I'm clearing it now, and I just take it for granted in this recordings, set of recordings in this episode that the second half will be done in a few hours, and then I will come back with whatever's next. I know I said I wasn't going to talk much more or any more about the findings, but this, I just saw something. I'm looking at it right now that I've not seen before that I want to talk about. I'm getting ready to do the second half of the edition of Super Clear, and I set up a couple graduated cylinders because I have to mix it with some water. I'll talk about that in a future episode. When I looked up back at the mead, and now keep in mind only the first half of it's in, it's already working. There's like a three-quarter inch cloud basically at the bottom the pieces are starting to fall they're not quite settled but it's that first half i don't know if that's the positive charged uh clear finding or the negative that that first half of that liquid but whatever it is after about an hour is already working and i'm sure this is what happened each time i've done this on this mead because i basically start with the same uh, appearance of this mead before i put the super clear in I just never noticed it before, and I thought that's crazy how fast it's dropping. Now, the mead is still cloudy and murky, but that bottom part is like, it's it's a completely different shade because of all of the particles that are now falling out of it, and it's just going to get even more so when I put the second half in. But this stuff is pretty crazy how well it works, and now, learning now at this moment, how how fast it works. I just did the next step in the spiced mead, and I think the amount of recordings I have on this might make this one of the longest episodes since the return. I didn't quite know how to do a mead episode considering there's so little to cover on the making day as opposed to a brew day, but I'll continue and then I'll learn from this episode. But what I've done now is I put the mead into the refrigerator and a, uh, what is it about, 38 degree uh, refrigerator, one of the ones I use for fermentations and cold crashing. I'm not technically cold crashing this because I've already find it was super clear. What I'm doing is everything that dropped out from super clear is now on the bottom, but it's very, it's, it's, it's there very lightly. It's like a very fine, um, dusting. It's like very, any bump is going to shake it up. I've found that putting the meads in those low temperature refrigerators for two or three days, doesn't solidify all that but it it kind of congeals it maybe somehow it makes it a little heavier and keeps it stuck to the bottom for when i transfer it to the bottling vessel which is beads more than beers clarity counts for a lot it's actually worth a lot more points than beer well a few more points than beer so i try to get it as clear as possible and this has doing what i'm doing this by putting it in the refrigerator for a couple days helps tremendously so in about two three days i'll finally be ready to bottle but still won't be ready to drink but we'll talk about that when we get to it it's been a long road to get to this point but it is finally bottling day now i don't know how long these recordings are going to come out to i think longer than i envisioned but even at that, the passage of time in this episode is not reflective at all as how, at how long it's taken to get to this point. And I will get 
to the overall timeline in the tasting. But right now I'm ready to bottle. I have all my bottles uh, cleaned, scrubbed, and they're in a drying rack now. I'm going to get ready to sanitize them. Got some other prep work to do, which I'll talk about here in a second. But to lay out what we're doing here, I have two 12-ounce bottles, but they're not beer bottles. They're these skinny, almost wine-looking, almost like ice wine-looking bottles, but not quite that skinny. They're very pretty bottles. And I like to pull off a couple of those, cork them, and kind of set them somewhere in the back of a pantry where I almost forget about them for a while so I can taste them a long time from now or share them with friends because of all the time it takes to wait for this, I kind of just don't want to give it all the way to competitions. So I, I usually do that. I pull off two bottles of that to age and enjoy later. Then I have 14, well, those are 12 ounce bottles, which I do think I said. Then I have 1,487 milliliters or 78, let's see, 187 milliliter bottles, which comes out to about 6.3 ounces. Those are mainly competitions. I have 14, so that gives me enough for four competition entries plus two tasters to kind of taste over time to make sure they're not past their prime because these are going to be capped not corked they're still going to be they're oxygen absorbing caps so it should be fine as long as they're everything goes in okay that once it's kept and sealed and airtight shouldn't have a problem but i'd like to have a couple tasters just to make sure then i have one 12 ounce beer bottle that's kind of to collect the rest of what's left over after all this this is based on that I have 128 ounces of mead, which I very likely won't. Between transfers, I lose some, but I'll see when I actually transfer over into, I have a bottling bucket that's a has gallon uh, markings on, actually has milliliters and ounces, ounces. It goes up to a gallon. So I'll see exactly how much I have and then I'll adjust. But I should have, even at the usual loss that I have, I should have enough for all the entry bottles and then the two bottles I save. And I won't... I, I, I'm positive I will not fill that last 12-ounce bottle, that beer bottle. I think maybe if I'm lucky, half full, maybe a little. The point is to get that last bit of that mead into the bottle. I'm still going to cap it, and I'm going to put it in the fridge to get it chilled, and that will be my taster for this episode. This sh should be enough bottles. It may... I, I think, it, if anything, it's going to be too many if I have a greater loss than I thought. But that's already now. I do have to get my corks ready. That involves getting a metabisulfite solution with water together and then soaking those for about five minutes. And then I will get to the rest of the bottling process, which there's still more of that to do. I don't know how much I'll talk about it because a lot of this is going to expose it to air and I don't want to waste too much time. So I might summarize it all towards the end when everything's done. We'll see, and you're gonna find out next. I got everything about as ready as I can where I can record one more time before I really get to it. I have all my bottles sanitized. I have the water and, uh, is it the metabisulfite solution uh, boiled and ready, and I've let it sit for a few minutes so it gets hot. It stays hot, but not boiling. What I'm going to do is pour that over the corks in another saucepan, which I've sanitized, and let the corks sit in it for about five minutes. You don't want to boil them. These are natural corks. That'll just tear them apart eventually, especially with the way I lose track of time. Um, what else do I have? I have the siphon ready. I have my container ready, the gallon container to put it in. I'm going to go get the mead and transfer it over into the container and then start bottling 
uh, a manual process with a bottling wand, not like I do with beers. This is a totally different beast. And then I also have my capper ready at the six ounce, 6.3 ounce, sorry, bottle height. And I'm going to get started. And like I said, I didn't really want to record all that process because there's going to be a lot of exposure to air that I want to minimize and I don't want to talk over a it's a pretty, I'd say it's about seven, maybe eight inch opening over this container and accidentally spit a couple of times in there and infect my mead. So I'm going to go ahead and get started on that right now. Oh, I also have my, should mention that, I have my CO2 tank ready and I have a adapter on it with a small hose so I can purge all the bottles. So that's it. That's everything I think that's set up. Like I mentioned, small pile of bottle caps, little cup of sanitizer next to those. I think that's it. I think that's the best picture I can give you before I get started. Alrighty, bottling is complete, and the kind of guess that I had that I had more bottles than I needed ready was correct. I ended up getting my two aging bottles, which were corked, which is, <laughs> I have to admit, that's actually more fun than it should be to cork. I don't know why. It just, I like corking. I think it's neat. It's, I don't do it often. It's a bottle, then can, and then cork, so I guess that's why I find it fun. Anyway, um, I got those two bottles, and then I got 13 out of the 14 6.3 ounce bottle so i got one taster which is fine it's i'll do it uh i'll drink it like halfway through its lifespan when i send the first set two sets of three off the competition i'll give it a taste before the other set maybe or maybe i'll just drink it i don't know and then i don't know what i have in this 12 ounce bottle but it's not quite half full in the barrel and not counting the neck so it's a 12 ounce bottled not quite half full there so i'd say it's probably around five and a half ounces so wouldn't have been enough for a competition bottle but it is, it'll be enough to chill today and then taste as i go in and record the tasting which i would like to wait longer but we had two factors going one to get the to kind of get the show on the road here and do the first beat episode and see what I want to know in the future. And second, since this is a half full bottle, this is going to not last long as it is. So instead of wasting all that, still five ounces, that's a respectable amount of mead. Instead of wasting it, might as well drink it. If I'm going to drink it, might as well do the show. You think you see where all those dots are connecting. So I got some cleaning up to do and I'm going to put that mead in the fridge. I should probably eat because it is... I'll give you a, a little hint before the next episode. It is, what, 14? Oh, I think I said this already. It's over 14%. Even at five ounces, I don't want to drink it on empty stomach. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and take care of all that and then head back into the studio. After all this time, we're at a point where we can taste the spice mead. And I say can taste because preferably I'd rather kind of decide on where this mead falls into the range of the other meads I've made of this recipe in the past and just the other meads I've made in about two more months. That's when all the flavors should really start to be homogenized and then the aging kind of starts. To kind of give you a timeline of what we're looking at here, uh, when I make a beer for this show, I taste it within three Maybe four weeks at the most. I, I don't even know that I've gotten to the four-week point of any of the beers since bringing this show back. I haven't done any 
long-term aged beers yet this what return um i haven't i've i haven't done an old ale for the show i haven't done any barley wines i haven't done any we have these those really big beers that benefit with age everything i've made is best fresh mead on the other hand i made this let's see i gotta look at my notes here i made this christmas eve december 24th 2022 it is february 19th 2023 we're just five days short of two full months and it's just now at a point where I can drink it and get an idea of what it's going to be like. And that's 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 the key. Get an idea of what it's going to be like because it still needs a little time to get to its height of its presentation. Mead is very different in terms of time and patience than beer is. But I did bottle it today. I needed to get that... Uh, just that's the step that needed to be done and it can still age in the bottle you've got several choices with aging your meads i think about after two months on the the ones i make i can bottle and then let those sit and mature and be okay um i've had i've been this is a still a study in progress i've read arguments on both sides we're leaving it in a your your whatever stage you're in of fermentation, your secondary, your tertiary, some even primary, is better to bulk age it all together rather than individual bottles. I've read it doesn't make a difference. It's, I've read and everything in between. Uh, so far, I guess in my experience, bottling it is okay. So let's get to the tasting, and then I'll talk about where I think it's going to go after that. So first off, looking at it, it is a very pale yellow Again, something that was very difficult to take a picture of because of the condensation that was constantly building up on the glass. But I think I got a shot or two that gives a good idea, at least the color. It does not show the clarity because no matter how quickly I wipe the condensation off, it'd come back and it appears in the pictures more hazy than it really is. In fact, there's no haze. It's you could, I'm actually holding it up to my computer and I can clearly see the image of the the text on the screen, albeit backwards in this glass, it's, there's no, no, not even a single sign of haze. And that all comes down to super clear. I've not had that every time I've made this beer. That's why I eventually got to the point of using super clear. Cause I've tried age that didn't clear it up. Sparkaloid cleared it up better, but super clear has made this stuff drop. So this is very clear, nice light yellow, looks kind of like a Chardonnay white wine. And still, I don't carbonate this mead. So no, any bubbles are on there from, from pouring the mead and handling the glass and splashing it a bit. That's not carbonation bubbles. That's just, those are air bubbles. Now going into the aroma and the flavor. Aroma, I am not even, I don't have this anywhere near my face and I can smell the spices. The spices on this always start out very strong. And now holding it to my nose, First thing I get is that almost even combination of cinnamon and clove. Those are the two predominant aromas. I'm actually quite surprised that there's a really noticeable honey character underneath all that, which is something that usually doesn't come out until later in the aging process of this particular mead. Now, there may be an explanation for that or even a direct reason I, as you heard in the recording, then I'm probably going to repeat a lot of things. You got to keep in mind, I recorded these things over the span of two months, and the last recording and making this mead was weeks ago. I just recorded the bottling of the last recordings. But when I back sweeten this, I used more than I intended to get it to the number that I wanted for back sweetening. I usually don't have to do that with this beer. This dried out a ton. This, and I think it completely dried out. It is 14.4% in the end. This is the biggest version of this mead I've made. 
And I think I'm if if it holds up as far as the alcohol burn and taste and the noticeability of it, I may have to enter it as my first sack mead, which is the strong level of mead, which I think starts at 14%. I'll have to look up the numbers to be sure. I might be able to slip it in still as a standard. But I think what I'm trying to say is because I added so much direct honey to back sweeten it more than usual, that might be why the honey character and the aroma is stronger than it usually is after two months. I'm not sure. First time I've done that, I'd have to go through this process again to see if that is there's a little more proof in that being true. But as far as that goes, that's really all the aromas. And what I kind of expect to happen in the next two months is for that cinnamon and clove to calm down a little, but still be very prevalent. The only way I can describe these, and I'm going to describe it as taste as well, the spices is sharp. It's not a stinging sharp or a burning. There's just a, a sharpness to them. And age tends to take that away. You get like a, a smoother, softer, less kind of punching you in the um, in your, your nasal receptors, which I'm sure there's a technical term that is escaping me than, than it is right now. And it's, it would still be a strong aroma, but it wouldn't be as sharp. I'm, I'm not sure what you would call that. I might have to look a little more into wine tasting and... Uh, grading or rating and judging to kind of get better descriptors from looking for but i'm gonna go in for taste now the balance on it is pretty surprising for two months there's still a bit of youngness to it and by that i mean i can kind of taste cinnamon and clove first that comes straight out the second it hits your tongue honey follows comes in with that and everything kind of melds together spice wise and i think that's from that that actual thing that's tying it together is this earthiness that comes from the nutmeg. Now, over time, I'm expecting and hoping that the as the spices smooth out, that nutmeg will tie it together more. You you usually don't get a distinct nutmeg in this. Like even if you're told there's nutmeg in it, people don't quite get that, and that's that's fine. It but what it does is seem to lessen the blow of the other. The honey presence, much like the aroma, is stronger than I expected two months but that's something that tends to come out as the the stronger flavors and aromas lessen the honey lifts up a little bit so i think there's gonna be more honey presence to this again even though there's more now starting out i think it's gonna lift a little more i don't think it's gonna be too much actually i really i tend not to think there is too much honey presence in a mead because that's the main fermentable in it but i think that's going to lift up a little more in here and and be a nice compliment i'm going to taste it again to kind of get a second feel now that my palate's adjusted I held that one in my mouth a little longer, and the 14.4% is where doing that is where it's really noticeable. There's a a alcohol burn, not not unpleasant, just noticeable. It's not quite as strong as like a shot of something, like a whiskey or vodka, but there is that you get that burn in your cheeks, side of your mouth, and then I get a little bit of it in my chest too. So that's the thing that I'm going to have to test. I'm going to have to break open a bottle before the first time I enter this beer into a or, uh, beer. Wow. I'm so used to saying that enter this meat into a competition and taste it and see if that feeling's there. If that feeling's there, I would probably definitely declare this as a sack meat or as a sack meat, because even though it, the, the alcohol taste itself, not too bad. In fact, it's not even really, I wouldn't even really call it strong, but that feeling would indicate that there's a high alcohol presence. So I may have to prepare the judge for that so they don't put it off as like a more of a fusel thing 
for a standard mead. So that's something I can't decide now. That's literally going to take months to decide. This this mead won't even be ready for the next competition, which the drop-off date is, a, I think, about a month from now. A month and a week. That's still not enough time for me to hand this mead in to, to uh, judge. But I'm going to give this one more taste at this age and just see what I think it is, where it is, and, and where it's going to go. I really do like the sweetness level on this. The sweetness level is right where I want it. And there's enough of everything else to not make it feel cloyingly sweet. I, I have a, I, I do sweet is, is sweet and salty. Those are my two like go-to tastes. I have a very big sweet tooth, but this is not, I personally, I, I could put another dollop of honey in this and then <laughs> be right on, but I didn't want to do that. Cause that's not what everyone likes. I really like where the sweetness level of this and it's all honey. There's no other sweetener here. I think cinnamon might be lending it to it and, and on my taste buds, my palate. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of find this. It's 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 the store-bought bark cinnamon. That's not really cinnamon. I think it's cassia or something like that, but it's labeled as cinnamon and sold as cinnamon. I know a lot of people perceive that with more of a kind of a, a burning, not a pepper capsaicin burn, but a, a, a sensation of that. I don't get that unless it's in really large quantities and I'm really not that many things that have enough of the cinnamon for me to get that feeling. So I perceive it more as sweet. So it may even be coming off slightly sweeter to me than like my wife or some other judge. So that's, I like where it's at. I think that sweetness level is really nice. And the honey flavor from that back sweetening is, is just about right. Uh, I would like to see it kind of, complement and work together with the spices a little more which i think is what's going to happen because i think the honey's okay where it's at there's not really it's not flabby it's not uh fleeting it's it's kind of where it needs to be the spices are still a little sharp and of course that alcohol is just tearing into everything because it's it's 14 percent alcohol so that can that that the alcohol strength in a mead when everything starts to mellow out and homogenize can lessen greatly, even in super strong meads. In fact, I just, ironically, mead has been a big thing at our clubs lately without me knowing it in the time for the show. And just well, two nights ago, I had a someone's mead that I think was, uh, I think he said six years old. It was, the word years was used and it was big. I think it was 16% and you would not know that there was even hardly any alcohol in there to begin to at all. So that it, it is something that will definitely lesson over time and the spices should come down with it and it should be very nice but i am actually surprised how drinkable and already showing signs of balance this is at two months that usually doesn't happen and you usually have to wait till four months so i was a little trepidatious in recording this episode now but i did taste some at bottling and thought oh it's it's i think it's ready and worth time to talk about and to kind of just mix in something new at the series i am i have a couple meads planned for the, well, more than me. I have several meads planned for the future. I'm not going to record all of them because I've, as you heard, it's a different beast and I don't know how long this episode is going to be. I haven't put it together yet, but I got a feeling it's going to be longer than normal. And that wasn't my intention, but I am going to learn from this episode and learn on what to talk about the meads. But there is a particular project that I'm going to be doing with meads this year that I am going to share on the show. And that will probably be where the meads show up. And we'll talk more about that when we get to those episodes, but I don't think I'm going to record all my mead sessions. I just think there's, while there's learning to be done in there and both for myself and maybe anyone listening, I think right now 
making them more of a uh, well, what's the word? I'm like a special appearance along with the beers, which is what the sh- launch of the show is probably a better idea. We'll see. We'll see where this all goes. But I really like this spice mead. Again, if you've never made a mead before and this has piqued your interest, it, but you have no idea where to begin, check out City Steading Brews Methaglin and find their playlist and watch all the videos, then go back and watch them as you make the mead. And as long as you... Not only just follow the directions, but make sure everything is clean, then sanitized. That's the key. I think you're going to have a great product that you'll enjoy too, and maybe find a new hobby because I wasn't really, <laughs> I had no idea how to make meat, and I wasn't really intending to jump into it as much as I have and, and planning to, but it is a lot of fun. It's still making alcohol, but it's not brewing beer. It's a totally different beast, and I enjoy it, and I'm learning a lot, and I'm just on the start of it compared to my brewing history. So I'm looking forward to doing more of these. So I know this episode was different. I'm assuming it's going to be longer. I'm going to find out when I'm done recording this. Thank you for hanging in there and listening. And thank you for letting me try something new. And I'm going to learn on how to present this in the future in a, a even more concise, interesting, and hopefully informative and entertaining way and have some more fun on the way and do some really fun things with me, especially with the project I'm I'm planning to do with this. So thank you, of course, for listening. I'll be back. I think it's going to be beer for the next couple episodes, but who knows? Well, it has to be because I don't have any meads anywhere close to being bottled. So if I'm going to do any episodes, they're not going to be meads, but the um we'll just keep trucking i'm enjoying doing this show again i don't even know how many episodes i'm in but as usual when it comes to brewing and now making meads there are several recordings in several stages and we got some fun stuff coming and yeah this has been good so on that note of course i have to say again thank you for listening and i will see you in that next episode